I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 147 of the Intercooler podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. This week we're doing a bit of a Formula One 2023 season preview. Um, it's only it's less than four weeks actually until the first Grand Prix. Testing uh, is before that in Bahrain at the end of this month. We're also starting to see um, the 2023 cars being revealed, or at least their liveries. We talk about that a little bit. Um, and there's some news, particularly with Ford coming back. So this uh, episode really is all about F1 and the new forthcoming season. Enjoy. We're starting this week with uh, a new segment to the podcast, Andrew. It's going to be an occasional segment, I don't know, every other week or something. Um, but it's an opportunity for you and I to discuss market trends, things that are going on in the market right across the spectrum from you know affordable cars to the really flashy, expensive stuff. What's yeah. hot? What's what are people interested in? What are values doing? Um, and hopefully we can you know share some interesting insights with our listeners. Yeah, and and maybe help a few people too. Um, Hope so. Yeah, and yeah, I mean it's uh, it's 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 an important thing, isn't it? And you know we're not going to be you know doing dry consumer journalism here. It's not um, us. But um, a because we wouldn't be very good at it. B because it's probably quite dull. But um, you know, we do have some friends um, who are going to come on from time to time and, and help us with this. And, you know, if, if there are important things happening or interesting things happening, um, and it's not going to take up a huge segment of any podcast, um, but we just think it's going to be an, it would be uh, an interesting uh, and worthwhile addition to, uh, to what we do. Yeah, agreed. So as you say, you know, we've got partners who are in the business of understanding the car market and car values, aren't they? That is what they do. And they have mm. teams of people dedicated to doing exactly that. The likes yeah. of Bonhams on the auction side, the likes of JBR Capital on the car finance side. It's their job to understand what's going yeah. on in the marketplace. And, 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 and they wouldn't be a business if they weren't very good yeah. at it. Yeah. And so we're going to share their insights with you because we think it'll be interesting. Um, and we are starting this week with JBR Capital talking about what's going to happen this year with the values of very high-end cars 
I spoke to JBR Capital Darren Seelig just for a few minutes to find out exactly what is going to happen this year. Darren, last week the banks were saying that while we are heading for recession in the UK, it's likely to be shorter and shallower than expected. Um, and I think the data that you have suggests that that's reflected in car prices right at the top of the market. There perhaps isn't going to be a correction. Values perhaps aren't going to crash this year like some people thought they might. Well, uh, if we look all around us and look into the newspapers, it will say recession, doom, gloom, <laughs> it's all going to the dogs. Yeah. Uh, but yet yeah, I go out and I go to the restaurants and I go into town and it's absolutely rammed with people. Mm. Now, whilst um, that recession may be happening in other parts of the country with less fortunate areas and um, people in the luxury sector, and certainly we're involved in the high-end vehicle sector, we're not really seeing any of that at all. So the, we're talking six-figure cars, the Lamborghinis, the Rolls Royces of this world. Um, and the, your guys have pulled out some interesting data. So we know that Lamborghini had a record year in 2022, um, a 22% increase from the previous year. And that's reflected um, in the deals that you guys have been doing. You've seen a 46% increase in Lamborghini finance agreements in 22 over 21. Yeah, we've um, seen a, a massive increase, in huge increase in Lamborghini product. Uh, quite astounding. And uh, if I was wearing a hat, I would take it off to Lamborghini <laughs> because they have really pulled it out of the bag uh, yeah. over the last uh, five years. And, of course, the Urus has been their huge success story. And as we know, record number uh, of cars coming out of the factory uh, just over 60% or so those are uh, Urus, and people just cannot um, get enough of them. And th those those Lamborghinis, especially Uruses, have been holding their values extremely well. And when you look into the market data, into things like CAP and glasses, and there's uh, another valuation tool that we're using, Brago, which tends to use advertised prices and scrape data, the, the depreciation... Um, curve on these cars is very very shallow uh, in fact the data suggests that urus will be worth around 75 percent of their cost price in four years time which is absolutely wow. astounding uh, and I, I i personally cannot see that that will be the case i think that does tend to be overcooked and as a responsible lender as a finance <laughs> company um i'd be absolutely scared to to give residuals at that level and uh, we do we do peg them back to something a little bit more realistic towards can maybe 60 percent which in historical terms is still a big number in terms of future values mm. so yes lamborghini has done extremely well but it's not just the urus that's done extremely well svjs eventual svjs they are the talk of the town uh wow. and, and i think because uh lamborghini hopefully going to bring their new Aventador or replacement Aventador to the market this year. And um, those have been selling like hotcakes. And the Aventador, again, has always held up very, very well in terms of its uh, in, in terms of its values. So what can I say about Lamborghini? Absolute success story. So and if you guys are seeing lots more demand for a particular mark, um, that means that probably reflects greater demand generally in the marketplace. And so it is with Rolls-Royce. Um, they had a record year in 22. Um, and you guys saw 
that your loan size on Rolls Royces increased from 175,000 in 2021 to 210,000 in 2022. So people still want their rollers, don't they? They still want their rollers, um, especially Cullinan and dare I say, I'm slightly focusing on the luxury SUV market. Mm. And and I guess that's because they have to, because that really has been the the dream sector for luxury manufacturers. Hence why Ferrari, having said they'll never produce an SUV, have produced the, non, yes. the not SUV Pearson at <laughs> uh, £400,000. That's a lot of money for an SUV will be sold out. I mean, it'll be a roaring success. So what you see in Rolls-Royce in, in terms of the average loan size and values creeping up, uh, largely due to things like Cullinan and the SUV sector, very, very strong. Yeah, so at the top end, things are holding firm, very firm. Yeah, I um, mean, look, I mean, for us, for us, we're, we're a tiny percentage of the entire vehicle finance market. Uh, we reckon our market share of all cars over £30,000 is around four to 5%. So we're just a, a, a dot on the page. And it doesn't take much to turn the dial for us. But, you know, if I was just to look at how JBR's performed and the, the activity levels we're seeing, 2022 was um, a record year for us um, on all levels, whether it's um, number of applications for loans, number of cars we funded. It was an absolute knockout year in the backdrop of you know, economic difficulties. But in the luxury sector, that has done absolutely nothing to dampen the demand. Uh, and I mean, that's as much as I can tell you from what we're seeing. And um, I did get out of bed on the 1st of January 2023 thinking it's all over. (laughs) It's all over. I'm looking in the newspapers. It's going to fall off a cliff cliff. and January again, record numbers. Very, very strong January. And normally January is very subdued Mm. in terms of activity for selling luxury cars and finance. Uh, We've seen record levels of applications continuing into January. And there doesn't seem to be any signs of that falling um, off a cliff just yet. Well, there we go, Darren. It's good insight. Um, Thanks for taking the time to talk us through it. And we'll do it again soon. Pleasure. Maybe I'm just deluded, but it's strong out there. What Goes Up is sponsored this week by car finance specialist JBR Capital. We've been working with JBR Capital for a while now and it's been a brilliant partnership for us. High-end car finance is all the company does, meaning it understands the car market and car buyers better than most. So before you buy your next sports car, supercar, classic car, luxury car, even a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. Visit jbrcapital.com or click the link in description. And this bit is important. Tell them the intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. So we're talking about F1 this week, Andrew, because, uh, well, it's a season preview, isn't it? We're maybe a little bit early, but I think now's the time to do it. We've got F1 testing at the end of this month. That's coming soon. Yeah. Um, and it's I starting mean, to happen, isn't it? We've got car reveals. We've got news. There's stuff to talk about. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are less than a month away from the first, you know, one month from now, four weeks from now, mm. um, the first race will have been and gone. Uh, as you say, you know, all the unveils are happening. Testing is less than three weeks away. You know, the not insignificant news that Ford's coming back into the, yeah. uh, into the fray for 2026. Um, yeah, I think, you know, and also I think the real reason we're doing this is, and we'll, 
get to talking about this a bit in a minute, is I think that there is every hope, realistic hope, that we're going to be in for a decent season, which, frankly, we couldn't possibly have said about last year. Mm. Yeah, well, I think so. I'm hoping so. Um, First of all, though, F1 car reveals, are they just a waste of time? Because they're not car reveals. They're livery reveals, aren't they? That's what they've become. And no one cares. Yeah, they're marketing opportunities, aren't they? Yeah, that's Um, what they are. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they work from the... um, from the constructor's point of view because a they get to put their message across whatever that is it keeps the sponsors happy because they're shining new liveries all over the cars um you know they'll all be contractually committed to doing all this sort of stuff so um but there's uh, what i would say about them is it's pretty rare that there's any news yeah um i mean last year i went to the aston martin one and i did get to sit down with lawrence stroll um and he did say some interesting stuff. Um, but that was like kind of incidental. That was because, you know, I went to speak to Laura Stroll, not because I attended the mm. Aston Martin F1 reveal. So, no, I think that they are they're media junkets, aren't they, which are designed mm. to generate column inches um, for the constructors and therefore media exposure for their sponsors. That's, what, yeah. that's their purpose. That's what it is, yeah. And I suppose the best example of what I'm talking about is last year, Mercedes revealed their car. Um, and then they got to, was it the second test? I can't remember, but they, they got to one of the tests with the zero pod design yeah. that they hadn't shown off before. Clearly they knew they were going with the zero pod design uh, for yes. the race car, yes. but they didn't want to, they play their cards so, keep their cards so close to the chest at the moment these days that they don't want to give anything away before they absolutely have to. Absolutely. Um, so it, 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 they're kind of yeah. duping us as well, aren't yeah, they? As well absolutely, as yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a Formula One car we're yeah. not going to use. Yeah. So actually, we don't learn anything at all from these reveals. So I don't know. We we don't need to get too wrapped up in them, do we? But um, yeah, it's, it's curious. So we are looking ahead then to the 2023 season. We'll talk a bit about Ford. Um, we are hoping for a more competitive season than last. It, it, these new regulations, they came along. They were so hotly anticipated. We were all hoping that we'd see a step change in the quality of the racing, how one car could follow the, another. Um, I think it's, the new regs have improved that. Yeah. But the, the thing is, we, what we wanted was a competitive season again. 2021 was brilliant. And we hoped that the whole idea of the budget cap, of closer racing, was that we'd have a more competitive season. Yeah. It just didn't happen, did it? It, it started no. out quite well. But then the Red Bull um, machine started moving and it just steamrolled everyone. So, so, so the question is, why are we sitting here going, oh, we're going to have a better season. Is this a sort of like a triumph of hope over experience? Are we just being incredibly... Or are there actually genuine reasons to not just hope, but to believe 2023 is going to be a better... And I, and I genuinely... And I really do think that it will be a better season. And, and here's why. Hmm. What you often get when there is a new set of regs is, you know, because you, know, you get such a wide range of interpretations... Um, it's, you, you just get much more variability um, because nobody really knows what works. Nobody really knows yeah. what the others are up to. And so you get a, you know, a Mercedes-type interpretation, which then goes horribly wrong and effectively takes them out of the game. And that's just not going to happen next year. Yeah. Everybody understands the new regs now. Everybody knows how it works. Everybody knows what kind of car you need. 
And, you know, Mercedes, of all, you know, they're not going to drop that ball again. I'm not no. saying that they're going to be the most competitive car out there. Um, but don't forget that even with that thing they produced last year, it won a race. Mm. You know, don't forget, and we've said this on the podcast so many times, nobody develops a car through a season like Mercedes does. And even if they start off, you know, halfway between where they were last year and where they were, you know, two, three years ago when they were totally dominant, um, you know, th- that's going to be a competitive package over a season, particularly with their driver lineup. So I, I think, I genuinely think there is every reason to think. And also, you, you cannot expect Ferrari to drop the ball like it did. <laughs> you know, and really? let's not forget this time a year ago, you know, Ferrari had the fastest car. You know, you would not have bet having seen the terrible thing that Mercedes produced and seen how fast that Ferrari was that somehow um, you know, they would be that close in the constructors by the end of the season. You would have said Ferrari would just run away with it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, two things happened, didn't they? So, with Mercedes had a terrible, was a brilliant team with a terrible car, and Ferrari was exactly the other way around. You're not going to get that two seasons running. So they will become more competitive. Red Bull will have their work cut out for them. We are going to have a more interesting season. He said, hopefully. (laughs) We'll review this in nine months or something. See just Um, how wrong I am. (laughs) So, yeah, on Ferrari, um, I think that there were reports in the press that the departed team principal, Matteo Bonotto, described the new engine as a bomb. I don't think he meant it's going to explode all the time. I think he meant it's enormously powerful. Yeah. Um, which is okay that's encouraging but actually Ferrari didn't need a faster car it needed a better team it needed to run Absolutely. its team more smoothly more effectively yeah. Yeah. and so if they haven't done that then they might just be in a similar position to last year but let's hope they get their act together on that front um, and yes Mercedes I mean they got it wrong they, they t- it's, it's really interesting actually if you, there are interviews and podcasts out there with um, it's Mike Elliott isn't it their uh, tech director um, and he says that they can trace all of their issues they had in 2022 back to one point, one decision that they made early in the development of the W13 that sent them off down a different path. And it was a misunderstanding. They, I think fundamentally they didn't figure out that you actually cannot run the car on the deck, which is what yeah. they thought they could do. They thought they could do yeah. that. And now they know. Yeah. They've figured that out. And so they'll design that issue out of the W14. They will have done, you think. <laughs> You'd have to assume... So, but you know, the W13 still—it still won a race. You know, let's not forget, and on merit, and on merit. Okay, it was a very Mercedes-friendly circuit, but you know, even with you know the worst car that team has produced, certainly since you know Michael was racing for them, Michael Schumacher, mm. um, it still won a race, mm. which just goes to yeah. show what a, the the difference a team can make, and also you know <laughs> helped in no small part by having Lewis and George on the strength. Well, quite, quite. So I think they'll be back, the silver cars. I think the red cars hopefully will be back um, more competitive. They were competitive before, but more consistent, um, more reliable. They had issues there as well, didn't they? Um, But let's not forget that Red Bull, as a result of breaching the budget cap, have limited wind tunnel time this year. Remains to be seen how that will affect them. But it's, it's not going to work in their favour, that's for sure. And it might be that the, the development machine at Mercedes starts to capitalise on that as the season progresses. Can we talk a bit about... I'm, I'm particularly interested in those sort of top teams. Can we just talk about the driver pairings? Because I'm really interested in the number two driver. I mean, who is your... 
who is your ideal? You know, you are the, you are the number one driver in your team. Who do you want on the other side of the garage? Because you don't want someone who's going to be all over you, making you look a bit silly and making you worry a bit. But at the same time, you don't want someone who is, you know, qualifying on, you know, row three or four. Because they've got to be, you know, a proper wingman. So who has got the best wingman? Well, I know, I know precisely who that is. And I will, I, let, let me say this. I think if when you're the young hotshot in a team and you're the number one driver, you want an older guy who's perhaps been around a bit longer, had a relatively a good career, but a mediocre one compared to your own. Um, you want someone who has come into the team accepting their role. What you mm. don't want is a younger usurper, someone who's yeah. trying to make you obsolete because that's going to implode. And you also want... someone who the team knows their future will be built around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. If, if you're a Max Verstappen, you want Sergio Perez. Yeah, okay, you want Checo. But is he good enough? Okay, um, last, last year it didn't matter because the car yeah. was so far ahead. Mm. But if the Ferraris and the Mercedes are right up the top of the Red Bull, you can't have Checo qualifying fifth because it well, doesn't help. That's right. And um, the proof is in the pudding. In 2021, Mercedes won the Constructors' Championship. Yeah. Because yes. Bottas, essentially, Bottas must have outscored um, Perez. I'm sure he, he, well, he must have done. Uh, so, yeah, if, if you've got a dominant car like Red Bull had last year, you want Perez. But as a team, if it's more competitive, you need someone who's going to be right up there with Max more often, don't you? Yeah. So what, what I think you want although he would see it very differently, is what Ferrari has. Because I think that mm. Sainz is the perfect number two driver, apart from the fact that he doesn't see himself as number two driver. Well, but if you, could, if you could, because he isn't as mm. good as Leclerc. He just isn't. Um, I don't think that there is any significant evidence to suggest that over the course of a season, mm. um, he's going to do anything other than come second to, than come behind other than through damnable bad luck, um, which Ferrari has more than its fair share of. So, in an ideal world, what you would do if you were Ferrari is you'd just say to Carlos, look, here's an awful lot of money. You're really, really good, but you're not, Charles. Um, and, sorry, but your job is to is to support him. And I think that's the sort of difference in talent. So, you want someone who is really, really, really good. I mean, an absolutely fabulous driver but not a legend. Mm. Not someone who people yes. will be talking about in 20 years' time. That's what you want during a competitive season. Yeah. When you're dominant, you want a Sergio, don't you? I don't think it really matters, does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think you're right actually about science because he probably will play second fiddle, but he will not accept that. He will always push for more. And that might lead to some sort of implosion at some point, but at least in, he's pushing. In public. But do you remember, you know, Valtteri Bottas always used to, you know, when anybody used to sort of say, I mean, how does it feel being number two to Lewis? Here we go, I don't accept that. Mm. We're equal drivers. We have equal terms. Nobody's telling us that we can't race. But everybody knows that's what yeah. he was there to do. Yeah. And that's what he did. And he would have known that. But it's a very different thing, isn't it? for teams to agree this, or for it even to become tacitly acknowledged within a team, and then to actually go out, and go out there in public, and you're a Formula One driver, so you, know, you are the most alpha of alpha males, and go out there and go, well, yeah, actually, he is a bit quicker than me, so I'm just mm. going to you know, hang on his tail. <laughs> just can't see it happening, can you? I'm so intrigued by the second driver, the number two driver dynamic, because so these guys have got to where they are 
by monstering the opposition in go-karting, in single-seats. Yeah. Science won all sorts on his yeah. way through. He was a hero. He was the man for a long, long time. Imagine what that does to your ego. And then all of a sudden you have to accept that this other bloke somehow keeps going faster than you. Mm. And I just wonder what that does to your emotional state. It must be Well, I mean, you know, you will, at first you will think, hmm, okay, so I'm doing something wrong. So there's, there, there is something... There, there is a difference which all I need to do is find out what it is mm. and then I won't be doing whatever that thing that is wrong and then I'll be as quick as him. And then after a bit, you must just come to the conclusion, unless you have no self-awareness at all, that what, whatever that thing is, is something you can't do mm. because you don't have that just tiny fraction of one percent of talent which is given to almost no one mm. and and, yeah. and there's no getting you know i can remember jonathan palmer saying to me that he always thought he was a pretty good driver and that he he just hadn't had the machinery to really do justice to his talents and he said and then john lacy turned up in the team and this was back in the really early days of data of telemetry and he said he remembers looking at lacy's traces and just going, can't do that. And just realising that however... And I just thought that was a fantastically honest thing to say. Just yeah. looking at what this other bloke... And, and going to himself, not only can I... Am I unable to do that at the moment? But I will never be able to do that. At which point, what am I doing here? And he retired. He gave it up. Wow. Because he knew he was never going to be that good. That is the nature of elite sport, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it that is, is but, what it's about. But I mean, you know, you need to be a big person to admit that, even to yourself, let alone to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm. and I just don't know whether the fragile egos of the twenty first century Formula One driver would even, you know, accept that fact that there's just something they can do which you can't. And oh, nothing, however hard you train, however hard you try, yeah. however many hours of your life you spend in the sim or gazing at data, it's a bridge you can't cross. I wonder if they deflect it somehow, if they pin it on some external factor just to keep their, their self-esteem intact. Yeah, because, Do they because say it, the team is built around the other guy? Exactly. He but, gets why is it, yeah, but it's cause and effect. Why is yeah. the team built around yeah. the other guy? Well, that's quite it's easily challenged, isn't it? But yeah, so it becomes self-perpetuating. Yeah. <laughs> and then it gets it in your head, and then, you, and then your head explodes. Should we talk about some other driver pairings then? Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't need to do all of them. I mean, we can be fairly confident which way the Red Bull head-to-head is going to go. <laughs> um, now, Aston Martin, Fernando Alonso, Lance Stroll. Again, okay, we, uh, we probably know which way that's going to go. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about why is Alonso there? I think Alonso Stroll is interesting. I mean, that's... I mean, you know, I, I, I think that... That will be. Do you think? Okay. Do you think their overall driver talent pool has increased? Do you think that Alonso is today a better driver than Vettel? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And you know, and Stroll. You know, and I know um, that he is. You know, he he's cast as the. You know, he wouldn't be there if his dad wasn't his dad. I'm not mm. sure that's the case. Uh, and there's always, therefore, that insinuation that, well, you know, he's he's not there on merit. But actually, I think he's done a pretty good job. 
I don't think he's the best light driver in paddock, but no. you know maybe that doesn't matter. Um, but you know, I actually think if you look, I, th- I think he is a credible Formula One driver. You know, he put a Williams on pole in the wet, you know, and I don't care who, who you are or how rich your dad is, you still have to drive the car beautifully well to do that even once. And you're up against the best in the world. If, you, if you're able to do that, you're a hero in my eyes behind the wheel. But there are levels, of course. So, yeah. Um, but, but, but why is why is Alonso there? So we know he had to basically force his way out of Alpine. But it's a long-term project for Aston Martin. They're building a new factory at Silverstone. When you go up there and you see the factory going up, it's enormous. It's yeah. a hell of a facility. Yeah. It's not going to be up and running for a while. You know, They're not going to be producing world championship winning cars or even race winning cars from there in the next two, three years. Fernando is 42 later this year. Yeah. Um, it was, it's almost 30 years since a driver in his 40s won a race. Nigel. Yeah. Where? 41 years old. Yeah. Where was it? Don't know. When Australian, was it? 94? Australia, 94 Australian GP, yeah. There you go. Um, so it's a young man's game now, maybe. Um, so is Fernando just too old to, to capitalise on the investment that Aston Martin is making at the moment? He, he, he's, such a, he's such a sort of outlier, because I mean, I do believe, it's an awful thing to say, and maybe we'll talk about Lewis and George in a minute, but you know, I do believe the age thing is significant. It's not as significant if, well, okay, fine, you know, back in the 50s it wasn't that significant because Fangio won a championship at 47, mm. um, and Luigi Fagioli won a race when he was 53? Yeah. I think, he, I think he's the oldest Grand Prix winner. Um, but then there was a time... Um, when the cars were really, really difficult to drive, where age became a big factor. Um, and it's less so now, but, you know, I think that Alonso, I mean, he may not be driving as well as he drove when he won his championships in the mid-noughties. Mm. But if you look at his, you know, particularly the way he races other drivers, his hunger his mm. will to compete his 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 willingness just to put it all on the line and not the actions of a bloke in his 40s no, they just aren't no, no they're not so he hasn't I, mean, I, I, I think i think in the nicest possible way the man's a freak yeah yeah yeah, yeah he is he just yeah no one has told him that you know you can't do this sort of stuff when you're in your 40s so mm. so he just does he just keeps going um so yeah, I don't see a drop-off in his level of performance. I mean, there must be, because, you know, you, you can't turn back the clock and nature is nature and time is time. But even so, um, I think that's why, despite the fact that he's... I mean, how much older than Sebastian is he? I mean, how old's Vettel? 36? Uh, 35, I think. 35? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, out, so, and, out of, and, and out of the sport. Yeah. Um, whereas there's Fernando, what, six years older? Yeah. And still absolutely acing it yeah yeah we'll see what happens at Aston. my feeling is that that team's not going to be ready to produce a race winning car until fernando's 44 45 i just i'm not sure i understand why uh, anyway i suppose you've got a double world champion available and you'll lose you don't don't think money might have something to do with it i'm sure i'm sure and and also a team going you know come to us and you know you know he fernando's one of those people isn't he i mean i don't imagine he's the easiest person in the world to get along with and, and he likes things done the way he likes things th- mm. things being done maybe aston martin have just you know said we'll do it your way here's a here's a stack of here's a wheelbarrow full of moolah um come to us and we'll do it your way and he's just thinking well it's the back end of my career um it sounds like a laugh 
it's somewhere else. I'm out of Alpine. Mm. Do it. Let's give it a go. Yeah. And then if, if him and Lance Stroll come together a few times on circuit next year, what's going to happen? Superstar driver versus the team owner's son. <coughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, quickly on Alpine, uh, because Gasly's going there, replacing Alonso, Gasly Ocon, two French drivers. If you look at their records in F1, they're very similar. One win apiece, um, similar level of experience. Uh, I think Gazi is just a slightly... I think he's got an edge on Ocon. Oh, really? I would have said the other way around. I think Ocon's still quite underrated. Mm. Um, but I can't, you know... So, so to me, the, the Alpine-McLaren fight, I, find, I think is really, really yeah. interesting. And to me, if you look at those teams and what's happened, you know, both of them have kept one driver and changed one driver. And to me, quite clearly... McLaren have had the better of that exchange. I think that you know losing a an a, an, an out you know an, an out of Nick off form Danny mm. Rick mm. Um, and getting Piastri in um, compared to losing Fernando Alonso and getting Pierre Gasly in. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's I think that's advantage possibly game McLaren, which it needs to be because you know in twenty two. Alpine quite convincingly beat McLaren to P4 in the constructors, despite the fact that 2020 McLaren had beaten Alpine. So, you know, McLaren needed to tell me, everybody knows that, you know, the fight in the championship is for best of the rest, isn't it? It's for yeah. P4. Because, yeah. you know, one, two, three will be Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes. That's good. That's just going to happen. Um, and so who is best of the rest? And I think this is a really good opportunity. I mean, that's a pretty... I mean, we're, okay, we, you never know when, when people come into the sport for the first time, but from everything that we've seen, Lando, who's properly dialed in and has got a few seasons under his belt now, and Oscar Piastri, that's a, that's a pretty formidable combo, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is. It's going to be a good one. I can't wait to see that. Um, I think Oscar's up against it because it is Lando's team. Um, he comes in as a rookie, but he's highly regarded, isn't he? He's a talent. Yeah. Piastri, I mean, so is, we'll is, is, this, is this Lewis and Fernando in, two, in, in 2007? As a car journalist, I spend lots of time far from home in airports and hotels using whatever Wi-Fi network is available. But I've started using NordVPN to protect my devices and data while traveling. It's easy to use. And best of all, I can still watch streaming services when I'm not at home. I can't tell you how annoying it is to be told I can't watch a Grand Prix or catch up on Top Gear just because I'm overseas. But now I can be halfway around the world and make websites and streaming platforms think I'm back at home in Bristol. We've partnered with NordVPN to offer you a massively discounted rate. And I mean more than 60% off the standard cost plus four months for free. It's a hell of an offer. If you've been meaning to check out VPNs but haven't got around to it, just go and try NordVPN now. That's N-O-R-D-V-P-N. Take advantage of this offer at nordvpn.com forward slash intercooler or you can click on the link in the description of this podcast. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee so you can try NordVPN risk-free. Right, let's get back to the podcast. Uh, so let's talk about the most intriguing driver pairing on the whole yeah. grid. I, I think you and I are going to be on other sides of this. We are. We are. Um, Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, yeah. George Russell. Um, I did it's a really interesting. stupid thing the other day. Yeah. Go on. Do you want to talk about that then? Tell our yeah, I mean, I, I am not a betting man. 
okay i did bet on liz truss becoming prime minister not that i have anything other than something close to utter contempt for Liz, Liz Truss. But I, did, I, you know, I, I just saw that if it ever went to the Conservative membership, because they are... Well, no, I'm not going to go on some political di- yeah. diatribe now, but they were just going to put her in. I mm-hmm. knew that Rishi would never stood a, stand a chance, and I couldn't see how she wasn't going to get an in the back. And I won £120. Oh, well done. So this is my second flutter. <laughs> this is probably the second bet I've placed in the last five years. But I've placed, because it was eight to one, I've placed 20 quid on George being world champion next year. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay? Because, 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 I think that Mercedes will be burning for revenge. Not because they built a bad car last year, but for 2021. Mm. Okay. And, and not even perhaps, you know, because they particularly blame Red Bull for that, because, you know, certainly Abu Dhabi wasn't, you know, that wasn't Red Bull's fault. But I think they still feel robbed and they'll want revenge. And I think that they have learned from their mistakes. And I think personally, they're going to create a very competitive car. I also, you know, I know that you and Karun have looked at the stats and you can, you know, if you have a particular position, you can always just find the stats to back it up. And, you know, just like I think the two of you have found the stats to back up the fact that you think that Lewis probably slightly had the edge over George, I found some which absolutely suggest the other. So let's just call it honours evening. And then it even, and then it just comes down to the age thing, doesn't it? You know, every passing month plays age-wise and experience-wise into George's hands and against Lewis because he is still on the up and he has to be either plateauing or starting to gently fall down the hill. Um and also 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 you are toto and you know you have nothing but the highest regard for lewis and you owe him an enormous amount but you know you've got a lot of skin in the game and your job is to keep that team competitive for the future so who is your future it's not lewis it's true you need a succession plan don't you and that's why george you do. came in that yeah is why george exactly came in. exactly so so you're so who are you going to back? Who are you going to? I mean, you might take the view. He might well take the view that you know George can sit it out for one more season. Um, Lewis can get his eighth. He can be the goat, um, and um, then Lewis will gracefully retire and, and off you go. But <clears throat> I don't know. It's yeah. So Ed Straw, um, very highly regarded Formula One journalist, is doing some work for us as well, the Intercooler, um, and he wrote a piece about. He described it as a cold war. Um, <clears throat> what could be a cold war in 2023 because he thinks that Russell and Hamilton are a bit too grown up to really have a, a proper ding-dong fight this season um, and if there is a battle between them it will be waged sort of underground it will be it'll be a cold war psychological um, psychological and going on within the team it's not going to be a public facing thing um, and it, it's a very interesting point um, and he he's one of Many commentators who looks at 2022 and thinks that Lewis was still the stronger driver, which probably rings a lot of alarm bells for some people because George won a race, he took a pole, he beat him in the points. Um, so maybe that feels like a, a stretch. Higher average qualifying position. Beat Lewis yeah. 3-0 in the sprint races. Yeah. Yeah. Lewis monstered him in qualifying once he... Okay. Anyway, whatever. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> he did. He did. It was no, what? he didn't. It was twelve ten over the season. It can't be. You know, the only, you know, for it to be more equal than that, it has to be eleven all. He didn't monster. Yeah, him. Okay. It was twelve okay. ten over the season. Okay, it was as he, close he, as it can be without being equal. <laughs> okay, so um, okay, so quite clearly, then I think Lewis is going to get the better of George this season. This is where we differ. Um, yeah, and 
the thing that I, the reason I think this, I guess it's twofold. One is that the Mercedes for most of the season was a poor car. It was a poor car. And I think Lewis, he belongs to a certain school of driver. He, he's a Hamilton. He's a Schumacher. He's a Senna. He's a Clark. He's a Fangio. He's one of these rare guys that can do things in a car that others just cannot, as long as he has that car beneath him. Give, that, give him that car, and he will still do stuff that others cannot do. Um, and I think as long as the Mercedes is on it this year, I think he'll do it again, because I think people underestimate the significance of the W13 being an average to poor car. I think people underestimate and George the was role very, that played. George was very used to driving poor cars. Yeah. yeah. In a way, Lewis wasn't. And Lewis knew from probably the first qualifying session he was out of the title fight. Yeah. And well, what does that do to you? Yeah, and also, I think if, <laughs> if, Ed, if Ed is right, and it, is, it does become a cold war, if it becomes psychological warfare, I would actually back Lewis to win a psychological fight. Um, because... You, you don't do that well for that long mm-hmm. um, without knowing how to play that game too. And you know, and, and and the thing about multiple world champions is they beat their teammates without before they've even got in the car because they get in their heads. Uh, and, we, and we know that that's you know even the ones who are meant to be really good guys, you know they all know the games, they all know how to do it. And you know Lewis must be the greatest exponent of that art out there. And that is where his experience, there is no substitute for that. Um, and so you know if Ed is right, it does come down to psychological warfare. Um, then maybe, maybe. I, th- I think it's fascinating. I think it's really, really fascinating. Or maybe it'll just come down to luck. Maybe one of them will get, it'll be so close that one of them gets taken out and the other one doesn't. And that's the person who, who, who either gets the championship or, or, or beats the other in the, in the championship fight. For me, it's one of the most intriguing, exciting narratives of this new season. Because you can argue it either way, like we have done, but we don't really know. Also, we don't know. We still don't quite have a measure on George, I don't think. Is he? a Verstappen, a Hamilton, a Schumacher, a Senna, you know, is he of that class or is he a button? Well, I mean, okay. Lewis Hamilton is certainly the greatest driver of his generation. Um, you know, okay. Max is, I would say of a later generation and their, yeah. the, the end of their careers have, around the beginning of his have sort of overlapped. And whichever side of the argument you are, you have to agree that George kept Lewis honest last year in the same car despite all the advantage of having the team built around him all his experience um you know george kept lewis completely honest so why wouldn't that make george entitled george to be considered in that light or to have that kind of potential because it was an average car and Okay. okay this is this is the point i make there will be people out there who could beat Usain Bolt over 100 metres when they're all wearing Wellington boots. Okay? When you handicap them. Because that's not what Usain Bolt does. Take those welly boots off and put some spikes on. Some footwear that he can do what he does in. And all of a sudden, Usain Bolt's dashing off into the distance. But where is the evidence for this? (laughs) 
Uh, okay, I don't need evidence because this is just, it's a hunch that I have. It's a feeling that, that I hu- have. Well, okay, so, so, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, so I'm just trying to think of when Lewis was in a rubbish car. Um, when he first joined Mercedes, who was his teammate then? Nico, I guess. Nico, yeah. He, he beat Nico in the championship. He won a race. Um, but they, they were both nowhere, um, you know, title-wise, mm. nowhere near. Um, I, just, I, have, I just think that once you give Lewis a car that he can do, do what he does in, I think he's gone. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll That's see. why it's so intriguing. It's exciting, isn't it? <clears throat> it's fantastic. It really is fantastic. I can't wait to find out what goes on. Um, but let's move on. So there was some news last week, wasn't there? <clears throat> yeah. Ford coming back to Formula One. Um, yes. Working. It's a technical partnership with Red Bull um, from 2026. Ford's particularly working on the the hybrid side, the electrification side, because the 2026 onwards cars are going to they're going to be generating almost 500 horsepower from electric motors. That's an awful lot of shove. <laughs> it is. Yes. From one, <laughs> from, from, from one little electric motor. Yeah. So uh, it looks like that's what Ford is going to be, you know, <clears throat> pouring its energy and expertise into. Um, but it means Ford's back in F1. So, okay, so, so, so why has Ford decided that now is the time to come? But, I mean, they've been away for, by the time they come back, it'll be over, it'll be 22 seasons. Because everybody remembers the utter disaster that was Jaguar. So was 2000. there a Ford engine in there? It was a Ford team. Ford bought Stewart and branded yeah. it Jaguar in the same way that, you know, Sauber's branded an Alfa Romeo at the moment. Um, but know, does that wasn't... count as Ford? It's not the Blue Oval in F1, is it? No, but it's only because the Blue Oval decided to put another name. Is the Alpine really an Alpine? Or is it a Renault? That's what it was. It's exactly the same. Yeah, but what, what was the engine branded as? Do you know? I think it was a Jag. I don't know. I don't know. But mm. it was a Ford team. I mean, Ford okay. bought Stewart. Um, and then Ford, funnily enough, sold it to Red Bull. So it's, it's the yep. same team. So mm. they're back again. And, and I know this um, from talking to somebody at Ford, that there are a number of people who are still working at Red Bull today who were working at Jaguar 22 years ago. Well, no, well, no, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, when, whenever the Jaguar thing ended. Um, so I think that's quite cool. Um, but why, why do you think they're coming back? Is it just Drive to Survive? Is it just suddenly they can get themselves in front of a constituency of people around the world, which wouldn't have been possible 22 years ago? Um, let us not forget that this, can't, this deal can't have been long in the making, because until... In my head, it seems like last week, Porsche were going to do that. Mm-hmm. True. That, that was, you know, and so Ford must have just thought, oh, okay, um, we can parachute into that. But obviously, Porsche were bringing a lot of technology to the game. And Red Bull would have had to have sought Ford's reassurances that they can fill that role. Now, you know, Ford is, what is it? It's the second biggest maker of, um, of hybrids in the US, the second biggest maker of EVs in the world. So, you know, they're not a lot lacking technological prowess. Um, but this must have been quite a quick deal. Yeah, it seems it. It does seem it. But it feels as though um, OEMs are really scrambling to get involved in F1 yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, it makes you think about Honda, doesn't it? They they always just seem to get it a bit wrong, oh, their timing. Don't. It's hilarious. Oh, off they go. Yeah. But the F1, is, it, it's, it's enormous at the moment. Um, and it yeah, seems we, to we be have... really growing in North America. 
There are several Grand Prix there this season. Well, there are five Grand Prix. Yeah. I'm going to try and name them now. So top and bottom, Canada and Mexico. Yeah. And then the three in the US, there's Vegas, there's Miami, and there's mm. Cota. Yeah. yeah so there's five, five Grand, Prix. Grand Prix in North America. Um, and, you know, that I think is, is undoubtedly why, you know, for instance, uh, GM, GM wanted, don't they, through, mm. through, through a, a Cadillac branded operation with, um, with Andretti. Um, they're trying to get on the grid too. And let's not forget that, you know, Alfa Romeo becomes Audi, I think, next year. For the twenty four season, um, Porsche have said that they are they still want to find a way in. Mm. Um, as you say, all the you know the big names want in, don't they? And it's not guaranteed that Porsche will find a way in. It's not guaranteed that the no. Cadillac GM Andretti entry will be accepted. No. And so Ford maybe has played a masterstroke. Get involved with Red Bull, and you're guaranteed to be part of F one from twenty twenty six. And at the sharp end, unless something goes catastrophically yeah. wrong. Yeah. God. It, uh, these teams, if you think of these teams as franchises, what is what is the Red Bull Racing F1 team worth now? What is the Mercedes F1 team worth now? It's just, it's just. I mean, what they're talking about. Um, Ed was talking about this, wasn't he? You know, to, to even get, you know, to the mm. table, you need a billion, don't you? Yeah, yeah. He said he reckons it's a billion dollars to start go, to go from nothing to having an at least competitive Formula One team. But I, I see it. I do see it. What, what, what I do find slightly unedifying is that it's the teams who sort of have veto, have power of hire and fire of these people. And you know they are not going to act in the best interest of the sport because the best interest of the sport is to have more credible teams on there. But because there's a, only a certain amount of money to go by and if another team comes in, they're going to have to share that money with them. They're going to resist it, aren't they? You know, sod the spectators, sod the viewers, sod the people who actually, ultimately, by buying their fizzy drinks or their cars or whatever, pay for all of this. They're just going to go, well, if there are 11 teams on the grid rather than 10, that's less money for us. So let's yeah. say no. Yeah. Is this Bernie's legacy? Because <clears throat> his whole thing was empowering the teams, getting them together, yeah. working together, empowering them to take yeah. some, some sort of control over F1. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately... That they will act in their best interests, which aren't the best interests of the people who love the sport, because they don't see yeah. it as a sport. They see it as a business. Yeah. And they will act in the best interests of their stakeholders, be they shareholders or, or, or anybody else. Um, and that is a fundamental conflict between the best interests of the people who ultimately ultimately pay for it, as I said, which is... You know, you, me, and everybody else who goes to Formula One races or watches Formula One races or, or anything else. Um, and it makes me slightly, I do take the point entirely. Um, and we have seen this happen in the past where, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, you know, you had 20 teams trying to get on the grid and, you know, ridiculous pre-qualifying sessions where, you know, you, you know, some poor team with no money at all would have to go to, you know, Brazil and they'd have one hour on a Friday afternoon to try and get on the grid. And if they didn't do that, they had to pack up and go home again. Um, and, you know, and you used to have teams which could only survive with paid drivers paying a huge amount of money who were just so far down the back of the grid, just getting in the way. And you don't want that. You do want credible teams. But I don't think it is healthy for it to be the other teams to be the arbiters of that thing. 
of, of, of saying you can, you can't. And, you know, at the moment there are 20 cars on the grid. I don't think that's anything like enough. I don't know what the circuit limits are for Formula One cars, but, you know, if you had 28 cars on the grid, um, you would have an amazing spectacle. And, you know, but I just cannot see the existing teams being sufficiently incentivized um, to even think about that kind of possibility. And F1 and the FIA are keen to make sure that any new entrants are up to the task, which is clearly important. Yeah. We don't want teams just chugging around at the back getting nowhere. They do have to be credible and capable. And if that's not GM and Andretti, who is it? I mean, who are they waiting for? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. But just because you're a big name doesn't mean... I mean, look at Toyota. I mean, how many years were they in it for? Yeah. Um, without ever winning a race. I mean, frankly, look at Ford and Jaguar. They did five seasons. Mm. I think they... Did they get on a podium? They might have done once. I think Irvine might have got on a podium somewhere. Um, you know, so it's not, even that isn't a guarantee. No. But you're right. They, they have to be credible teams. But, you know, that's why, you know, ultimately, I think you should lower the, the entry barriers to make it easier for people to be competitive. But again, that is asking the teams to act against their own self-interest, which they're never, ever going to do, because ultimately they care much more about themselves and their shareholders than they do about the spectators and the, and the, and the viewers. Mm, they do. They do. Um, OK, later on this week, we're going to launch um, a contest. We're going to set out on our Twitter account, at underscore the intercooler, if you want to find us on Twitter. We're going to set out to find the greatest Formula One driver of all time, as voted yes. for by the TI audience. So yeah. recently, over Christmas, wasn't it, we did the Hot Hatch World Cup yeah. um, and we declared the Peugeot 205 GTI. We didn't declare it. You lot did. You declared the Peugeot 205 GTI the greatest hot hatch of all time. Fair enough. Um, so now we're going to do this with Formula One drivers. We want, to, we want you lot to name the greatest F1 driver of all time. Yes. And we're going to have, we will put a structure in place so there will be some qualifying rounds and there'll be courses and there'll be semis and there'll be a final. Yeah. Uh, we are still working out exactly how to do it, um, but I think it'll come up, it, it, it will basically mean we will come up with a short list of drivers um, and then we'll just hand it over to you guys. Um, uh, you'll only get notifications and be able to see it if you follow us on Twitter, um, so please go over there and do that. Um, we will also post stuff on Instagram, directing people to it, because we just we just want everyone to get involved. And we're not taking this desperately seriously, because, frankly, it's not a desperately serious subject. Um, you know, people will say, but hang on, Frankel, didn't you once say that you can't have the greatest of all time because you can't <laughs> compare eras with eras? And you're probably right, you can't, but it's just a bit of fun. And it's also, mm. it's just really interesting to see where people, where people are thinking at the moment. I mean, you know, Lewis Hamilton versus one Manuel Fangio. Um, I think I don't think there's going to be much debate that those two do deserve to be on the list. Um, I don't know. It, I, I, I really don't know how people are thinking across the and, and, and whether it's going to be objectively decided or subjectively decided how much people are going to vote for people because they like them mm. um, and that sort of thing. And we've been working out and we're still working out who get who qualifies. And we thought, well, we'd do it by. I don't know if you won a world championship or you know however many world championships you were, and then you think, but then you know you get outliers like you know then if you did that, Sterling Moss wouldn't even get on the list. Yeah. Um, 
So we're going to have a think about it and ultimately we will come up with a short list and then we'll hand it over to you guys. And hopefully lots and lots of people will pile in because the more of you who do, the more fun it's going to be, the more interesting the results will be and it's just a bit of fun. There you go. So keep an eye on our social media channels and it'll be up there soon. Right, we've got a listener question coming up but first of all, please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it, rate and review it and also hit the follow or subscribe button. That's really helpful. Um, And also go and check out the-intercooler.com. It's our beautiful website where we publish what we think is first-class automotive journalism daily. We've got the best team of writers working anywhere in the world. We're absolutely convinced of that. And I think the best online reading experience, because there are no ads. Um, So go to the-intercooler.com and start your free trial. Um, So the listener question comes from Dan Wainwright. Um, And he says, with 911 Dakar reviews out... Yeah. Um, what what other cars would you like to give the Safari treatment to? Now, before we do that, I just are you kind of you've driven the 911 Dakar in yes. the Sahara. Yes. Are you sold on this idea of a Safari sports car? Does it no. work for you? Not at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, because well, no one's going to do it, are they? No one is going to spend a well. I mean, there will be some maniacs who do, but no yeah. one's going to spend 173,000 pounds on a car and then just go, you know, take it to you know, some off-road centre or go wanging over desert mm. dunes in it. I mean, yeah, the, the, the punishment these things take when you're doing that, um, they're not going to do it. So, no, I don't buy that at all. What I do buy um, is, you know, and, and what the Dakar experience proved very po- forcefully to me, is giving a car like a 911 um, some proper rough road capability so that you can use it when it's snowing or if you live down a steep rutted track or whatever yeah, so it genuinely becomes a proper all-season car all-season mm. all-reason that i buy completely um yeah. so you know people will think of it because all the photographs will show it in you know in that sort of cod rothman's livery i think if you think of it being a toy a seventh eighth ninth tenth car and a rich person's enormous collection i see it the other way i see it as an only car mm. i see it as a one-size-fits-all you know, you want one car which does absolutely everything, um, you know, up up to and including, you know, parking on a slope in a muddy field at your school, at your, at your kid's sports day. Um, I absolutely see it for that. But no, going off-roading in the thick end of, well, it will be by the time you've got any options at all, 200,000 quid's yeah. worth of 911. No one's going to do it. Okay, so with that in mind, what yeah. about giving the safari treatment to a ratty Toyota GT86 or a or an early Impress or a Celica GT4 does that kind of appeal lifting it slightly knobbly tires bit of underbody protection yeah I mean absolutely I, I, I think actually it, it, it almost appeals more for that kind of car because you know what I was also taken struck by with the 911 was you know two things that it has over normal SUVs um, you know it's got yeah, enormous traction because its engine sat in the back. Um, well, it'd be sort of, even beyond that, its ability to traverse things because it's not going to fall over. You know, so you can just tackle side slopes you wouldn't think of tackling in other things. And also, it's just light. Mm. You know, it weighs sixteen hundred kilos, so it's half a ton lighter than almost any big you know SUV, and a ton lighter than some of them. Um, so I think, and also, you know, so what would I? I'd do it to I'd do it to an Impreza. Yeah, something like four that. Four-wheel drive. Yeah, yeah. Just get a four-wheel drive car. I think. I think four-wheel drive. You know, if you are actually going to go mud plugging, um, I think that would actually be a really cool thing to do. And I wouldn't put 
you know, triple five livery over it or anything, but I would give it some ground clearance, give it some protection, give it some nobblies, and go out there and have some fun. And I think that would be a brilliant thing to do, actually. I think that would yeah. actually, that would be quite a cool way of resto modding something like that. Mm, that'd be fantastic. Good idea. Thank yeah. you for your question, Dan. Um, get your questions across. We'll do another one next week.